I feel certain I've told this story before. Um, Y'all, I've passed the age of 40 now, so you're going you're gonna to hear a lot of the same stories over and over for the rest of, you know, till, as long as I'm up here. Just smile and nod and pretend you, you haven't heard them before, okay, for my benefit. Uh, our first house in South Haven, when we first got married, it was a little starter home in a little starter neighborhood. So there were, there were no mature trees. They had, they had leveled all the trees, and then the home builder just planted a little baby tree in the front yard of each house. And so I don't even know what kind of tree it was, but I just, you know, I just left the tree alone. I didn't think about it. I don't have a green thumb. It might shock you to know that, but I don't, I don't know anything about that stuff. So I just left that tree alone. Well, one day, two, three years in maybe, our, my parents came to visit us, and my dad just looks over and says, Kyle, I think something's wrong with that tree. doesn't look good. So I walk over, okay, oh, okay, I walk over to it, and uh, you know, I don't know how to test the integrity of this tree. I mean, y'all, it's, it's about this big around. It's a little tree. So I just, I think, I'll just kick it. And so, and, uh, so I kick the tree, and it just snaps right in half. It was dead. It had probably been dead for some time now. Uh, no wonder it wasn't growing. No wonder it wasn't bearing, you know, leaves. It was a dead tree. And, of course, I, in my ignorance, I didn't even realize it until I kicked it. But I'll tell you, that, that tree has always been a helpful picture for me of spiritual life. Because it's a picture Jesus gave us in very rich language in Matthew chapter 7. You don't need to turn to Matthew 7, but Jesus was speaking specifically about false prophets, false teachers, but he gives a very general principle here that we ought to take to heart. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 7, 16, he says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. In other words, what is true on the inside of a person will reveal itself on the outside, in our words and in our actions and how we treat other people. What's true of the root will be true of the fruit, whether good or bad, Jesus said. And y'all, one of the clearest, most practical teachings of that principle in all the Bible is right here today in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, it comes on the heels of what we looked at last week. If you weren't with us last week, that's okay. Let me give, I'll just give a little, quick little recap. The Apostle Paul taught us, and has been teaching us, that uh, our salvation is the product of God's grace, not the law. Therefore, we are saved by faith in Jesus we are not saved by our own works, by our religious duty, by our obedience to the rules. We're saved by grace through faith. And y'all, that's wonderful news. But we might perhaps conclude wrongly that with all this grace that God has given to us, well, it shouldn't really matter then how we actually live. We can sin all we want, and you know, Jesus is still going to cover us because He loves us unconditionally and He died to forgive us unconditionally. So our life doesn't necessarily have to match what, uh, what Jesus looked like or how he lived because grace, in a sense, nullifies all that. Well, y'all, Paul refutes that and, and calls it what it is. It's hypocrisy. Because the truth is, we saw this, a Christian is free 
from sin, not free to sin. And therefore, we're now, we are a people who are more serious about holiness, not less. Because we now possess the Holy Spirit. God has given us His Spirit, which now produces in us Christ-likeness. Jesus saved us to become more like Him, not less. And so part of the Spirit's work we saw last week includes rooting out and putting to death the sinful desire of the flesh. So to use Jesus' language, we all were once bad trees. Sinners separated from God. We were bearing bad fruit in our sins. But by the grace of God, we have been made new. We didn't get our act together. We were changed from the outside. We have been born again. Not according to the flesh, Jesus taught us, but we've been born by the Spirit. So now we may bear good fruit, new fruit, that glorifies God. That's the good news. But if that seems a little, maybe a little too theoretical, maybe too overly spiritual, what does it mean to bear good fruit? Well, Paul gets real practical with us today. He's going to answer the question that we all need an answer to. Okay, what does the Christian life really look like at street level? Day by day, how am I supposed to live? And so I want us to see a bigger section in totality here. We're going to dip a little bit into what we saw last week. We're going to go back to verse 16 at least to start before we break some things down. But y'all, I just want us to see the very clear and sharp contrast between the sinful flesh, what we were, and now the fruitful spirit, what we possess, who we now are because of Christ. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16, we're going to go through the end of the chapter all at once here. Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Two very clear, very distinct 
categories at work right here. We've, we just saw them. We have the flesh. The flesh is a moral term. It refers to our sinful human desire that thinks and acts in opposition to God. Then we have the Spirit. The Spirit, which is not a power and not a force. The Spirit is the very person of God who is present in everyone who trusts Christ. Now, the Spirit opposes the flesh, of course, but it's not just a battle that happens somehow in, in, in theory, outside of us. No, the Spirit is our true and only hope of overcoming our flesh and living a life that is pleasing to God. It's a battle that is being waged within, and its fruit shows without. This is why Paul says, we live by the Spirit, that is to say, we receive the Spirit by faith. We also walk by the Spirit. It's a life that is manifested in how we think and decide and speak and act. And so let's, let's go deeper now into the contrast. Let's break these two down just a little bit more. Look, look first at the negative side, the flesh in verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're clear and plain and obvious. And they are, Paul says, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The deeds of the flesh are the outworking of our sin. This is what Jesus called the bad fruit. And we see, Paul shows us, this is not a complete list. This isn't everything. It's a representative list. And y'all, just for the sake of time and focus today, we're not going to go through the list item by item. Uh, if you've got a question about particulars or definitions, please come find me, talk to one of our pastors or elders. We'd love to have that conversation more with you. I trust, however, that we can define terms well enough. You can find a good Bible dictionary. You can find online Bible dictionaries that can help you define terms. What I really want to deal with here is the deeper truths of what Paul is, is speaking. And so a couple of th four things I want to show us that come from this, this list and the implications of the flesh. Y'all, the first thing we've got to get square on, we are all on this list. And it's very likely that we're all over the list, not just once or twice, but maybe all throughout. No, nobody except Jesus comes out of a scripture like this squeaky clean, okay? And so I, this is something I need to speak to my own heart. I want to speak it to your heart as well. When, this is not the only time in the scripture we see lists like this. Jesus gave a list of the defilements that come from the heart. Paul gives another list, uh, or, or more than one, just like this. When we read lists like this in the Bible, if I immediately think of only other people who are guilty of these things, and I don't see myself on the list, that's a problem. Not to say, of course it's true of other people. We're all sinners. But if I can't see myself here, then I am self-righteous. I don't see my own heart for what it really is. I've become like in Luke 18, the Pharisee that Jesus 
says, stands and prays to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Because he saw himself as righteous and everyone else as a failure. Jesus said that man didn't know God at all. We're on the list, all of us. Now secondly, these, y'all, these sinful activities that Paul lists, they all come from somewhere. They're not just bad habits or accidents. They come from the root or the heart. Remember, it's the bad tree that produces bad fruit. The Apostle James says it like this. Each person is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. James chapter 1. So, y'all, for example, the sin of envy or the sin of sexual immorality, it can't, we can't pass those things off as a bad habit or something that exists only on the surface. It's not really true of me. It's just something I've done, something I do. No. The Scripture teaches that those are deep-seated desires of the heart, and that's why they come out. Jesus says it's what's inside the man that defiles the man. It's what comes out of him, not what goes in. And it's these desires that give birth to sin and death in our lives. Your sin and mine, it comes from somewhere deep down. It's never just a surface issue. And then thirdly, most seriously, Paul says the outcome of this kind of life really is death. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unrepentant sin puts us at enmity with God. We live in rebellion to Him in that case. See, what Paul is describing here, it's a long list of individual sins, but the deeper point is, Here's a lifestyle that that comes from a heart in rejection of God, in rebellion against God. And Paul says later to the Thessalonian church that such people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We don't play games with sin. Rebellion against God never has a happy ending. But fourth, We need to know, resoundingly, we need to know and declare that every single person on this list may be redeemed by the grace of God. There's not one sin on this list that's irredeemable. Not even all of them combined. If we were guilty of all of them all at once, God may still redeem us. Y'all, there's a place in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul gives a similar list of behaviors that live in rebellion of God, very similar to the one we just read, but then Paul makes a statement to the church. And now this is, this is wonderful. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul says to the church, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified, saved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. This is what you were, but God has intervened by His grace, and it is true of you no longer. Y'all, that, the testimony of the Scripture is just this, that at one time, every single one of us, all of us, were on the wrong side of this equation. We were, Romans 5 says, we were enemies of God, 
living according to the sinful flesh and without hope in the world. And y'all, that, that may be true of us right now, some of us, where we sit. That we're living on the wrong side of this relationship. We are in rebellion against God in our sin. And I want to say in that case that our hope here is not that we get serious finally and straighten things out and turn our lives around. That is no one's hope. Our only hope is this, that God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, God has sent us His Son. It was Jesus on the cross who bore the penalty for our sins in our place. It was Jesus who rose again from the grave in victory over the ugliness of sin and death and hell. And therefore, y'all, it does not depend, it cannot depend on you and me to get our lives right and make our way back up to God. That's impossible. God's will is that God would come down to us. That God would give us His eternal grace as a gift through His Son. He came to us. He did not demand that we make our way to Him. We couldn't. Only God could solve our problem. And also this, this verse we just read from Corinthians, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. We didn't do any of that. Those are things we receive, things that God must do for us, glorious things that God has delighted to give us by faith in Jesus Christ. Washing, sanctifying, justifying grace. That's the good news for otherwise irredeemable sinners like me. Only God can solve this problem, and He has to the highest and greatest degree, he's given us his very best, his own son. And y'all, the good news doesn't end there. Paul has been very clear on this, that it's the good news by faith in Jesus Christ we are saved. But what he's been teaching us, especially here in chapter 5, is that for those of us who trust Jesus, we are actually, present tense, made new. God doesn't just save us in the abstract, record your name up in heaven, and eventually you'll get to the reward. No, He saves us in the here and now. Something really has changed. Like a new and healthy tree that now bears new and good fruit. You've been given a new heart, and the Spirit of God has come to indwell you. And therefore, there is a new kind of fruit, not the bad fruit of our sin that once defined us, but something else entirely. Look at verse 22. One of the great crowning verses in all the Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, as before, I, I don't think Paul intends this to be a complete list. But it's enough for him to make the point, I hope. The fruit of the Spirit. 
Look at what God's indwelling Spirit produces in His children. And you'll notice that word fruit is in the singular, meaning all of these qualities, all of them, are growing forth in the life of the person who has the Spirit. And and y'all, I point that out, that singular nature of the fruit of the Spirit, because I think a lot of us tend to single these things out and treat them as individual qualities, almost as if we could pick and choose. You know, I I really want that. I like that love and joy and peace stuff. The self-control stuff, you know, I'll, I'll get around to, you know, maybe later. Or we may look at and, and see our deficiencies in these things and say, well, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty decent at, uh, you know, at, at gentleness and kindness, not so much self-control. Self-control is always the hang-up. I don't know about you. It is for me, at least. That's always the one. Um, but yet, the fruit of the Spirit is singular, meaning it's one big thing. And I want to encourage us to see the fruit as a whole today, one great, great big work of God in our lives. And here's why. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is Paul just picking random character qualities out of the sky here? Is he polling the audience around him, his fellow prisoners, maybe as he writes this letter, asking them, hey, what do you think makes for a good character? No. What Paul is pointing us to here, these are deep qualities of the heart that God's Spirit must divinely produce in us. What we're not getting, we're not getting a a spiritual checklist of character qualities that will make you a more well-rounded person, that will make you a better employee, better husband or wife. Certainly they will, but that's not the point. That's not the goal. Y'all, what we're meant to see in the fruit of the Spirit, this is God's design to make us more like His Son. Take any of these qualities, these nine things Paul gives us, each of them, it's like a little matchstick that leads us to the bonfire that is Jesus Christ. The perfect embodiment of them all. God, through His Spirit, is seeking to make His children more like His Son. You're not more well-rounded. As a result of this, you're more like Christ. That's the goal. That's why a lot of these character qualities are not ones we would have invented for ourselves. Because they're not necessarily bottom-line qualities. They're deep heart qualities that touch us at the deepest level. That's as God intended it. Jesus made this exact point, by the way, in John chapter 15. This is what Jesus says about our relationship with Him and the fruit that it produces. We preached this a couple of months ago. Look at it again, John 15. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To abide in Christ, to remain in him, to be intimately connected with him. 
is in some sense at least similar, if not the same thing, that Paul's giving us when he says, walk by the Spirit. It entails a devotion, an intimacy, a, 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 a relationship that is deeply connected to God and drawing from God. What Jesus says in, in that scripture, he says we find our life in him and in our attachment, our ongoing attachment to him, which means Jesus doesn't just save you and leave you alone. He brings you into union with himself and graciously gives you the gift of remaining connected with him, drawing from his life. That's why Jesus says we cannot bear fruit apart from this abiding relationship. We can't do anything unless we're connected in with the vine, the source of life. So we take these two scriptures, John 15, Galatians 5, we put them together and we realize, oh my goodness, it's the Spirit of God producing this life that Jesus promised us. The Spirit of Christ who has now come to us to bear this good fruit out by the ongoing work of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all the rest. It comes to us because we are united with Jesus Christ and we are now animated by His life-giving Spirit. Now y'all, this, this scripture is telling us something about the Christian life fuller and greater than perhaps we tend to recognize or at least apply. And I, I know this is true for me, so I, I'm just confession time, okay? Y'all, I still to this day have been a Christian 24 years. I'm a pastor. And yet I, I still tend to view my life in a very flat and two-dimensional way. Now, here's what I mean. I know God wants me to be good. I know I shouldn't think and act the way I used to. I should live instead according to what the Bible says, right? And I should do my very best to be a good Christian. Now that's, that might be a very noble thought. It may be very sincere. I know that you and I perhaps share that same idea. We shouldn't live how we, we used to live. We should live according to the Bible. Let's do our best. But y'all, nowhere in that way of thinking is the Spirit present and active. I have built that way of thinking entirely on myself. And I'm doing what the Apostle Paul is warning us throughout Galatians not to do. Don't you go back under the law and embrace your old way of life, which depended on you rather than the grace and the Spirit of God. Y'all, we are no longer under the law, doing our best to try to be good in the power of our own resources. That is not what it means to be a Christian. No, we live by the Spirit which changes our relationship to sin and to righteousness. Y'all, if you've, if you've cycled through this, sinning and feeling guilty, promising to do better, only to find yourself going right back into that sin, perhaps within a matter of moments, if not days or weeks, we can never hold out for very long because we're trying to accomplish something good in the flesh. Only by the Spirit is our relationship to sin and righteousness now different. So think, let's think about it in turn. Think about your relationship in mind to sin. Y'all, once upon a time, the Scripture says we were slaves to sin, bound to it. We couldn't do otherwise. We walked according to the pattern of this world. We lived according to the flesh. Those are all biblical terms for that reality. 
But now look back at what we've read just today from Galatians 5. Look back at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out or gratify the desire of the flesh. Speed down out of verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul gives the same idea. He says, by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. Y'all, the Spirit of God within us is called the Holy Spirit for good reason. He is holy, set apart, pure, and good. And therefore, the Holy Spirit opposes the sin and evil and impurity within us. He's against it, actively, constantly against it. Y'all, so to be a Christian who possesses the Spirit, we now have a new disposition towards sin. The Spirit animates and now leads us to think differently about the way we used to be, the things we used to love. And so, y'all, the plain truth about your and my relationship now to sin, we do not coddle our sin anymore. We don't keep it around, the stuff that we can still get away with. It doesn't harm our conscience too much. We don't justify our sin and make excuses for it any longer. No, the Scripture says, very matter-of-factly, we hate our sin. And we seek to put it to death. Paul says, because we belong to Christ, we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, y'all think about that image for a moment. Earlier in in the Scripture, Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I've been crucified with Christ. Here he says, those who belong to Christ crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, do you know anybody who was crucified? You do. Y'all, Jesus Christ was crucified. There's a clear reference here in what Paul's saying. And what was Jesus crucified for? For our sin. He was nailed to the cross as payment for our sin debt. And so now the Spirit produces in us an attitude toward that sin that we know and acknowledge Jesus paid for. He died for. And so the the command of the Scripture, the, the implication of the Spirit's work in our lives is we crucify that sin just as Jesus was crucified for that sin. We put to death everything in our hearts that Jesus gave His life to forgive. I had a conversation with Bo last Sunday. When I sin and I feel bad, is it primarily because I got caught? Is it because my fear over my reputation and the hit it might take? Is it out of concern for the guilt that I feel because I don't like living with guilt? Or when I sin... Do I grieve my sin? Because I know my sin grieves God. And I know that on the cross, Jesus bled and died and suffered so that I might be free from sin, forgiven of it. 
Y'all, this is the Spirit's work in your heart. The Spirit of God will not allow us to make peace with our sin. And because the Spirit within you is greater than your flesh, we can actually experience victory over our sin. This is not yin and yang, 50-50. We're not sure what's going to happen here. The Spirit of God is dominant. The Spirit of God is greater. The cross of Christ is supreme. Your sin will not reign victorious in your life. So why would we even entertain it any longer? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify that old way of life anymore. That's our new attitude. And the Spirit also changes our attitude toward righteousness. Remember, it's through faith in Jesus we really become something new. No longer the bad tree bearing bad fruit, but a new tree, a good tree by His grace that produces much good fruit. And so the Spirit within us, it doesn't just oppose the bad stuff, it produces the good. It produces Christ-likeness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Y'all, the deep qualities of the heart that really do make us more like Christ. The work of God in our lives is not just to forgive us of the bad and bring us back to zero. He takes us to the skies. He gives us all His grace and elevates us as His children to those who look more and more like the image of His Son. That's His promise. He's doing that in you right now. Even if you're not aware of it, or feel it the way you should. Y'all, there's so much more we can say about this. Let's just close this way. I feel certain, certain, that all of us right now are more sinful than we wish to be and less fruitful than we wish to be. Right? And in that case, if that's you, it certainly is me, that may be a crushing and constant disappointment to us. I'm always a failure, no matter how good I do. Even if I'm growing in this fruit of the Spirit, right? we individualize them. I stink at this one, or these three, or these six, seven, eight, nine, whatever. We always feel like a failure because we don't see in ourselves that we're measuring up. Right? I'm not nearly as committed to God as I ought to be. And y'all, listen, that's true. <laughs> we're not as committed to God as we ought to be, not one of us. But I also want us to see in this Scripture something we may not be prone to see, is how deeply God has committed Himself to you. Think about what God has done for you, even just right here. God has forgiven your sins in Christ, and He has given His Spirit to you with the power to overcome your sin in your day-to-day living. He hasn't just wiped the slate clean, He's given you power to live new. God has given you new life in Christ, a positional righteousness that cannot be lost. And by His Spirit, God is producing a new quality of life. It's not just a position. It's real traction. It's real transformation. New quality. Love, joy, peace, patience. The things that perhaps we couldn't even dare to imagine would be true of us at the heart level. By the Spirit, that fruit is now bearing itself out. Y'all, God has not left us with some flat, two-dimensional form of religion that says, okay, try your best to be good. We'll check in Sunday by Sunday and see how we're all doing. No. 
God has given us Himself. He doesn't sit back and wait for you to get your life together. He enters in and makes you new. And by His divine power, Peter says, we now have everything we need for life and for godliness. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, right? These are all facets of the same gem. The new life we've been given really does make us new. And I want to say this, y'all, without, without any qualification, I know it to be true, I want you to take it to your heart. God is more committed to your fruitfulness than you are. That will always and forever be true. God doesn't sit back with arms folded waiting for all of us to get our act together. And then if we make a move in His direction, then God will soften a little and come toward us. That's not the gospel. God with open arms. Jesus Christ with spread hands. Entered in to a world of sinners, to a whole world of nothing but bad trees, and said, I'll make the fruit good. I'll wash, I'll sanctify, I'll justify. I'll make a people new who can bear fruit that looks like me. Y'all, God is at work right now. Whether you feel it or not, if you trust Christ, this is true. God's at work right now to produce Christ-likeness in you. And so I want to encourage us in this. This is, in the Scripture, a command. It's not entirely passive. It's active. We're responsible. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, meaning we get to join with God in the great work He's doing. We can give ourselves now fully. We're no longer divided people. Feeling guilty, trying hard to be good, we can now be undivided, single-minded. The Spirit of God can, can grant it to us that I am now a new creation giving myself fully to the good fruit of the new life that God has created in me and in you by His life-giving Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We now walk by the Spirit. What a privilege. What an awesome responsibility. Those who are new, may God give us the grace to really live like we're new. Let's pray for it together. Father, we pray together something we, I, I pray we can acknowledge it is just true. None of us are what we know we ought to be. Even possessing the Spirit by faith, Lord, we, we are continually engaged in this battle. Lord, cultivating, coddling, being entertained by the flesh. Um, and Lord, I, I pray that we recognize this, that, that that's, this is our lot. This is, this is the nature of life on this side of eternity, this side of heaven. This, will, this battle will always rage. But Father, I pray that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray, Lord, that we would not 
um, give ourselves over to, um, to, de- to com- complacency or even despair, to say that our sinful passions are simply too strong. We've lived with them for too long. They're too easy to, uh, to get away with. Nobody else seems to notice. And so we find a way to simply entertain that life and hold on to it. Father, will you grant us this morning a renewed mind? Show us, Father, that by, by, by the grace of Jesus, we are new. We are not polished up versions of the old self. Lord, there's a new creation. We live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. And Father, help us this morning this, that, we, that we would not revert to legalism that says, this is up to me, I've just got to get serious. I can do better. But Lord, we really would pray and ask the Spirit to do this glorious work in our hearts. Pray for the fruit of the Spirit. That we would hunger to be more like Christ. And Lord, you've actually promised it so. You've, You've given us all capacity, all ability by Your Spirit to live differently to think deep down in ways that that resemble our Savior and to live in ways that mirror Him to the world. Father, I I pray for the, if there's a heart in me, in us, that just thinks uh, lawfully. We're always looking to ourselves and our own initiative to figure out our problems, to get them under control. Father, help us to think spiritually. Help us to to trust not only in Christ and His forgiveness, Lord, but in the promise of Your indwelling Spirit who really does change us. We don't think about our sin the way we used to. We don't desire the things we used to, but we have new desires that accord with Your goodness and glory. Father, let let this, this fire within us be stoked and fanned into flame, Father, that we would be a, a more passionate people to see this good fruit deepen in our lives and spill out in our relationships. Father, thank you that in saving us, you have not left us to ourselves but you saved us and have come to indwell us. Father, all of this that we've read today is possible. And it is certain if your spirit indwells us. Lord, make us, I pray, um, absolutely devoted, um, ambitious, committed to seeing, Lord, the good fruit of your Spirit bear in our lives. Make us more like your Son, please, we pray in his awesome name. Amen.